Uh, first, just a little bit of a background about kind of where we are in the book of Isaiah, um, and then also looking at kind of how wisdom, obviously the three points being about very much about wisdom, uh, are related to this title given to Christ, Wonderful Counselor. Okay, so some background of Isaiah, and then um, what wisdom has to do with the title, Wonderful Counselor. So Isaiah um, was prophesying during uh, the, the King Ahaz's reign, during King Ahaz's reign. King Ahaz, you know, in the history of Israel, there were some good kings and there were some bad kings. King Ahaz was not a good king. He was one of the bad ones. Um, unlike his father, King Jotham, and then his son Hezekiah, who were both good kings, uh, King Ahaz was not one of the good ones, right? He, uh, Ahaz introduced idol worship to God's people, um, child sacrifice, uh, very evil things, giving things from the temple of God to foreign kings, to foreign gods, um, and along the way, just refusing to repent, doubling down often instead of turning from his ways, uh, submitting to foreign nations. And so this was a king who did not seek the Lord and his ways, the way that God wanted the king of his people to, to reign and rule. Um, and Isaiah is prophesying and speaking on behalf of God to King Ahaz and really to, to all of Judah in this time, um, kind of in the earlier stages of a lot of, a lot of these things, a lot of the sin of Judah. Right? Ahaz is turning to human power around this time uh, for salvation, turning to human power for salvation. He's teaming up with the foreign nation of Assyria, giving the king of Assyria you know, gold to kind of butter him up, uh, to kind of show his allegiance, um, gold from the temple. Um, and so Isaiah is pronouncing judgment, actually, over Judah in a lot of the previous chapters leading up to chapter 9 of Isaiah. Uh, he's pronouncing judgment over Judah because King Ahaz and how the people were also following him uh, was they were just in sin, in so much sin. And namely that this ally Assyria that they sought to kind of help them and protect them will actually eventually be their downfall um, and overtake them. He's, he's, he's kind of prophesying these things, Isaiah is. And so the context of the, of the prophecy that we read, which is rather hopeful um, about Jesus, right, uh, comes within a period of time when much of the other prophetic words that God was speaking through Isaiah to Judah, through, to Ahaz, were of judgment, uh, were of God calling out the sin of the people of Judah and the king of Judah and how they, were, they, were, they have sinned, how they've turned away from him and have turned to worldly things. That's what was going on here. Isaiah 9, uh, and I encourage you to read the whole section that our passage is found in, verses 1 through 7, is a prophecy full of hope in light of judgment. Um, it's a prophecy full of hope. It talks about how the people of God who are experiencing gloom and anguish will come to a point eventually where there will be uh, no more gloom or anguish. They won't experience that anymore, God prophesies. Oh, God speaks through Isaiah. There will be light shining in the darkness. There will be joy and abundance and peace. And at the center of this hopeful prophecy is this child, a ruler, a child ruler who, that is to be born, that's going to usher in this peace, this joy, this abundance. And the first title that this child ruler is given is Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful Counselor. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says Wonderful Counselor? What, 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 what is meant by that, right? That's what we're looking at today. Um, you know, I'll be honest, even in my initial thoughts of hearing the title Wonderful Counselor, um, 
I just kind of think of a counselor in the sense that it's someone who you know counsels you, perhaps, whether in a professional or kind of informal way, uh, gives you some advice or some guidance. You know, helps you to make good decisions in your life to maybe get your life back on track. Um, and the the wonderful adjective, the modifier that kind of you know uh, is added there, it kind of just makes it seem like yeah, just a good version of that, a wonderful version of that kind of counselor. And if that were the case, if that's all the Bible meant by ascribing a title wonderful counselor to this coming king, this coming ruler, Jesus, then that title of wonderful counselor in that sense, being next to mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace, wonderful counselor would kind of stand out a little bit. It would kind of come, come up a little bit short. It would be the odd one out. But so then, what does the Bible mean here by wonderful counselor? Wonderful counselor, or more kind of grammatically, uh, literally, um, wonder of a counselor, this wonder of a counselor, it's referring to the wisdom of this ruler that is to come. It's referring to the wisdom of that ruler and how it far exceeds human wisdom. Um, In fact, human wisdom, human logic, human rationale, is exactly what is kind of being spoken against, right, from the previous chapters. It's what has gotten Judah to where they are now. And so when you hear wonderful counselor that that's what this coming ruler is going to embody, then they're meant to think, yeah, not like what's been going on with Ahaz. And the word pala, which is the word that's translated to wonderful, is actually not just wonderful in the sense that we use the word wonderful today. It's the nearest word in the Hebrew to this idea of supernatural, extraordinary, miraculous even. And so the title is something more like wonder of a counselor, someone who offers and embodies wisdom far above the human, who will accomplish extraordinary, miraculous things by that wisdom. That's kind of what's going on here. That's what's kind of packed into a title that when we read today, we can quickly just kind of glance across, but that's what's packed in there. And these these titles are describing the kind of king and the kind of ruler that would come one day and what it would look like for that king, that ruler, to reign in his kingdom. When I was in college, um, I went to... I liked a lot of different kinds of music, but I went to different concerts when I could. Uh, Philly has a lot of great music venues. Uh, but I went to one of uh, several, actually, like heavy metal concerts, right? It's just one of the genres I enjoy. Um, and surprisingly, contrary to what people might think and based on how the music sounds, right, that screamo metal genre has a lot more specifically Christian artists than, than, you, would, than you would think. Um, everyone thinks that it just sounds so kind of demonic, right? But for a lot of these bands, these Christian bands, these Christian screamo metal bands, um, including the one that I went to go see, uh, there's, there's deep, rich truths uh, that point to God. It's, it's a, you usually need to look up lyrics to understand what's being said, but that, it's there. Um, and so one of the bands that opened up for the band that I went to go see was also you know, a Christian screamo metal band. Um, and I think the lead singer is a pastor, also a pastor or something like that, might still be to this day. Um, and as soon as they came out, everyone's screaming, everyone's excited. Um, he made sure to preface his kind of set by proclaiming Christ. Um, and you'll see, you know, Christian artists do this from time to time, right? He said something, and even athletes, right, different celebrities, right? He said, he said something along the lines of, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for sinners, 
to have eternal life in him. And this is the part that has stuck with me. And we believe that if Jesus was here reigning fully today, there would be no more violence, no more war, no more poverty, no more sickness. If Jesus were reigning today fully, there would be no more violence, no more war, no more poverty, no more sickness, none of these things. And that last part about what the world would look like if Jesus were here fully reigning over the earth, that, that thought has stuck with me in all these years. Because um, I think often from time, you know, from time to time, not often, but what would, it, what would it look like if Jesus were here today in the context that we live in right now? What would it look like if Jesus were physically here fully reigning, when the kingdom of God is consummated, what would that look like? Well, while we live kind of in this in-between period of that, right, when Jesus has come once uh, to usher in this new kingdom uh, as our new king, yet those things have not yet been fully kind of consummated, fully realized, it's good to think about what that ought to look like for us now where he is ruling, he is reigning, he is king, he has brought the kingdom, but not consummated, not fully quite yet. So what does that look like for us? What should it look like that Jesus reigns in the, in the sense that he does today? And so we'll look at this morning at part of that. Um, that's what this series kind of should unpack for us. But we'll look, at this, we'll look this morning at part of that, what it means that this ruler, Jesus, is a wonderful counselor filled with a different kind of wisdom than one that the world has ever seen. Um, and we'll further flesh that out by looking at, again, those three points, the wisdom of the world, wisdom not of this world, and wisdom embodied. And so we'll move through these relatively quickly. Um, we are going to come to the table at the end of the service uh, for communion. Uh, but first, the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world. Well, in the immediate context of Judah, in, the, in Isaiah, um, in the immediate context of Judah under King Ahaz's reign, the wisdom of the world to you know, ally up with foreign nations for safety and self-preservation, that wisdom of the world is, is, is what the title Wonderful Counselor is meant to contrast. Right? The northern kingdom teamed up with Syria, a foreign nation, and they were planning to invade Judah. But rather than Judah seeking God and turning to God for protection and for safety, they go with the humanly logical route of allying up with the Assyrians, right? Allying up with the Assyrians, another foreign nation. And perhaps that wouldn't be so bad if God hadn't instructed, you know, his people precisely to be a people that's set apart, that's unlike other nations, trusting and turning to God and God alone. He has instructed them to do this. And so we see Judah relying on this very short-sighted, very limited way of thinking, right? according to worldly standards, maybe. Perhaps it was you know, rather wise politically or in terms of military. To, it was that kind of a, a wise decision that seemingly yielded the best result for them to ally up with the Assyrians. But in the name of doing what was wise on the surface in the short term, Judah and her king failed to seek true wisdom that comes from fearing the Lord and putting God first in these matters, in all matters. And really, when you look at the Old Testament, um, the history of you know, uh, God's people, we see this exact pattern time and time again. 
over and over. The people of God wanted to be more like everyone else. Uh, They wanted to look more like the world around them and not be set apart, not be different, not be holy. Right? We saw it when the Israelites had been delivered out of Egypt, right? This amazing act of God to free them from slavery under Egypt. But later they complained and they wanted to go back to Egypt because in their hazy thinking, they thought we had it better when we were slaves in Egypt than we do now under God's reign. We saw it with the constant tendency to create idols, right? The golden calf and worship gods from other nations instead of being faithful and true to the one true God. We saw it when the people of God wanted a human king like the other nations rather than having God as their king, failing to recognize God as their king. The wisdom of the world had led Israel in a cycle of disappointment, sin, and brokenness that just repeated over and over. And while it may be easy for us today to kind of read all of that and look at all of that from a bird's eye view and say, oh, well, why didn't they just listen to God? Why didn't they just obey him and be faithful to him? Why did they outright reject him like that so often, right? So it's so obvious that building a giant golden calf and worshiping it would be wrong. It's easy for us to point at that and say, why, couldn't, why didn't they know better? But may we humbly consider ourselves today. Are there areas in our lives that God is not truly at the center of? Are there areas in our lives that God isn't at the center of? Right? Maybe when it comes to our finances, our careers, our education, or even our recreation, Can we honestly say that we seek God faithfully in these things and in our whole lives? That we put him first? Or do we too turn to what the world says is right, is good, is admirable, is worthwhile? What the world says will satisfy us rather than turning to God. Do we have that tendency? When I have this position or this title or this job, when I finally get that job, then I'll finally have a sense of true purpose. Then I'll really be doing what I was meant to be doing. Or when my finances finally look like this, when I can finally pay that off, then I'll finally be at peace, be able to breathe. Or when I find the person of my dreams, then and only then will I really be truly happy. Are the liturgies of the world programming us to think far more in line with the worldly definition of wisdom than we might realize? That just like it did for Israel will leave us in a cycle of disappointment and brokenness and sin? Or are we turning to the source of wonderful counsel, wisdom that gives everlasting life? Not just everlasting life when we pass away and when we finally go to heaven then we'll be good but even now that we can live that out live in that a wisdom unlike any human or earthly wisdom which is our second point wisdom not of this world wisdom not of this world right if wisdom and counsel found in this world if all the wisdom and counsel found in this world is indeed limited short-sighted and draws us farther and farther away from god then true wisdom and counsel that leads us to God, that points to God, given by God, must be not of this world. It must be not of this world, right? This wonderful counsel that is promised in Isaiah chapter 9 
would show us just how limited human wisdom is. Right? It's not that the smartest and brightest and most wise people in the world and the, and the brightest and smartest version of worldly wisdom is just kind of not good enough. Right? It's not that the world's wisdom is, only gets us 5% there, and then, but we're missing 95% or whatever kind of percentage you think that, uh, you may think that worldly wisdom is. Right? No, the wisdom that this coming king would rule by would be totally not of this world altogether. Turning our natural understanding completely upside down, inside out. It's not that we're only at 5% of understanding God's wisdom by relying on worldly ways. It's not even we're at 0%. We, We are completely unable to obtain and understand this wisdom whatsoever. It is categorically different than worldly wisdom. And so see, for God to proclaim through Isaiah that he was sending a ruler who was a wonderful counselor, it meant that it would be different than the limited and sinful human wisdom that was rampant through Israel's history. Right? God proclaiming that a wonderful counselor was coming was meant to point back to all those other times, all the times that that wisdom fell short, all those instances of God being rejected because of worldly wisdom, of people disobeying him because they turned to worldly ways and turning to other things, just slapping God in the face over and over, no matter how many times he would forgive them, that he would show grace, that he would give them mercy, that he would remind them of who he was. No matter how often God proved his love for an undeserving and foolish people, for him to say that a wonderful counselor is coming was meant to point back to all the times that they didn't rely on God's wisdom. God's essentially saying, I'm going to send someone once and for all who doesn't go by the same wisdom and logic that has led you away from me time and time again. And he's going to usher in a kingdom of joy and peace. And he will lead by a wisdom that is so counter to the way that this world thinks and operates. And that's exactly what Christ came to do. Christ came to turn the world and the thinking of the world upside down. True wisdom in Christ, true wisdom in Christ knows that it's in weakness before God. It's in weakness before God that we find what it means to be truly strong and strengthened. That in surrender of our lives freely that we find glorious victory that we can never dream to accomplish on our own strength. And that in the death of the God-man Jesus Christ, of of that wonderful counselor himself, there is life for all those who put their faith on him. True wisdom. And also contrary to worldly wisdom, worldly ways, True wisdom knows the emptiness of pursuing things that this world promises will satisfy you, will give you the answers, this is the answer, that this is going to make you happy, make you feel loved, give you peace, give you success. True wisdom knows that those things will lead us back into that cycle of disappointment, sin, brokenness. Because it's only in the godly worldview that we understand that we were created by God and for God. Only when we put him first 
will we find the satisfaction that every single person on this earth is desperately looking for deep down? The answer to our soul's deepest longing is in something literally out of this world. Just like how for Israel, it wasn't what they likely expected, right? This ruler. This ruler wouldn't just go on to be probably what they were thinking was just a bigger, better, wiser king. We need someone who's just bigger, better, wiser than the ones that came before. We need David 2.0. It wasn't that. So then how would God deliver his people from arrogance and war and oppression and coercion that was rampant during Israel's history that's still present even now? How would God deliver us from these things? By being more arrogant, more warlike, more oppressive, more coercive, just more powerful version of that, a bigger, better version? I mean, because the Bible does portray God to be powerful enough to destroy his enemies in an instant. And so in a sense, you could get there. Yet, what we see is that the means of deliverance that God had in mind, that God had in store for us, is a child born to us. To us, a son is given. Not a bigger, better, wiser king, David 2.0, David 3.0, but a child. One commentator puts it well. He says, God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent, and humble. Let me say that again. God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent, and humble. Rather than a figure of strength, power, or wisdom in a worldly sense, he would come born a human birth in a lowly manger, totally unglamorous, unimpressive, unimposing. The answer to our soul's deepest longing is in wisdom, not of this world. Yet, that very wisdom entered into the world for us. Third and last, wisdom embodied. Wisdom embodied. In describing, you know, what we just looked at, the the nature of how worldly wisdom falls short, which it does, and godly wisdom, you know, being not of this world, being something categorically different, how it's totally radical and counter to this worldly wisdom that falls short. We can't walk away from that understanding and looking at that just thinking, okay, so then rather than thinking like the world, thinking in a worldly way, according to worldly standards, I just have to kind of tweak some things. I kind of have to change the way that I think, add some more godly flavor in there, right? I just have to take the lens by which I see everything and just kind of clean it up a little bit and add a little godliness to it. It's not what we ought to take away when we look at this. This kind of wisdom is not just something that is available to us for us to kind of just take and consume or consider if we so find it desirable. That's not the kind of wonderful counselor that is being prophesied who just kind of offers it to you. A salesman just kind of, you interested? This kind of wisdom, wisdom from God, is a framework in which the whole kingdom of God and all of its citizens are marked by, are defined by, we're meant to be set apart and radically different than the broken world around us, in our actions, in our speech, in our decisions, in our thinking, in every way that we live out our lives, we're meant to be set apart. But furthermore, and even more central than that, 
is that this kind of wisdom is a person. This kind of wisdom is a person, our wonderful counselor himself, Jesus Christ. He didn't just teach wise things and then offer some suggestions as to how the world ought to think, but he is the very embodiment of the radical, life-giving, counter-cultural, counter-intuitive wisdom of God. He's the embodiment of that. And so, this isn't just about going in and kind of reprogramming a few things in our minds and our hearts, but it's about encountering and beholding a person. It's about encountering and seeing Jesus himself. Christmas today, you know, in our day and age, is the celebration of the moment that this glorious prophecy and all of what scripture pointed forward to was finally fulfilled in Jesus' coming. The figure from Isaiah 9 was finally incarnate. To us, a child was finally born, a son given for us, the king we needed, yet the king we didn't deserve, came to earth in the most radically humble way. But more importantly, he totally and fully embodied the full wisdom of God. Right, the nativity scene that's so popular, you know, cute, they make toys of it. My nieces and nephews have this really cute nativity scene that they always put out, it's adorable. But it's mysteriously wonderful not because it's just a cute depiction of the way that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ happened to enter the world, but a child born a human birth, yet was fully God and fully man, came to us in a humble, meek way, fulfilling prophecies long and eagerly awaited for, who would go on to not just teach wise things, but to embody the full wisdom of God and put it on full display on the cross. The cross, that's the word of the cross, that's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the ultimate and glorious display of the power of God and his wisdom. The power of God on the cross shattered the wisdom of the world. Shattered it. The ushering in of a new kingdom marked by wisdom from God, not wisdom of this world. That's what it means that Christ is our wonderful counselor. That in his life, death, and resurrection, we see a king who rules by a wisdom that far exceeds anything we've ever seen. It's categorically different than anything we could ever figure out on our own. But by God's grace, ultimate wisdom given to us so that as we are in Christ Jesus, our boast is in him and him alone. That's what it looks like when we truly see and behold wisdom personified, our wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. Right? It frees us from having to exhaustingly chase after things that are going to eventually disappoint and leave us feeling empty. And when you behold Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and how it's not about what you've done, it's not about having figured it all out, it's not about worldly wisdom and where that's gotten you, Rather, it's the work of God in you by grace. When you see that and you get it, your boasting will not be in yourself and in what you've done. But it will be in God and what he's done and what he's still doing in you and what he will continue to do in you to the point of completion 
And when he reigns as the king that he is, transforming and strengthening Christians to truly live this out, as, as King Jesus does that, cultures can change, hearts can change, all to the glory of God. That's what it means that our boast is in him, that all of this is for his glory, not for us to receive any. The prophecy that Christ would come ushering in this kind of kingdom as our wonderful counselor of a king has been fulfilled, yet we long for the day that that fulfillment is consummated, is complete, when he comes again. Pastor Ryan stole my thunder a little bit by including that in the beginning of the service, but he's coming again, and that's also what Advent is about. And until that day that he does, we hold on to the truth that Jesus now, even at this very moment, reigns as our wonderful counselor leading and guiding us by his wisdom, working that in us and helping us to grow in that by his spirit. We enthrone him in our hearts and live out what it means to be part of his kingdom, both to fellow saints but also to the unbelieving world as a testimony. Like we pray in the Lord's Prayer that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that actually happens already, in a sense. It's not just something that's going to happen one day at the end of time. That actually happens for real when Christ is enthroned in our hearts and we live out as citizens of his kingdom. And so in wanting to do that more, in wanting to grow in these ways, to understand the true wisdom rather than worldly wisdom that disappoints and falls short and limits us and draws us away from God, in wanting to grow in true wisdom and understand it, Look to Christ who came to us, who's working in us now, and who promises that he will one day come again forever to reign in that wisdom. That's what Advent is all about, both in looking to Christ in his first coming and how miraculous and amazing that that was and fulfilling of many different prophecies, but also looking ahead to the day that he's going to come again and reign in that, in, as a wonderful counselor in that wisdom. And by looking at Jesus, finding strength to persevere and live faithfully even now in the in-between. So brothers and sisters, let's, this Advent season, let's behold our King who is our wonderful counselor now. Let's pray.